We're going to be looking this morning at our next passage in Mark called Living, or part of our series, Living with the King. And in particular, we're going to be thinking about how can I be close to God? So if you've got Mark 12 ready, um, that will be great. And um, if we can have the first uh, title slide up, that'll be good as well. I'm very conscious as I talk about being close to God today that a lot of the media is saying don't really be close to stuff. Um, But I think we can be pretty confident with God that everything's okay if we get close to him. And so we might be thinking, well, okay, close to God, but what about, is that really possible? I mean, we're human, God is spirit. Although we've seen Jesus Christ, that was a long time ago, maybe, we think. And so, is it really possible to get close to him? And actually, do I want to be close to God? You know, I've got my own life to lead. I've got all these things I want to do. And and God might be asking me to do things I don't particularly want to do. Or do I really want to be close to God? And I think sometimes, uh, perhaps something like the crisis that the world seems to be in at the moment, and if we take all the other things that we might consider as well, the storms and the floods, the impending supposed um, catastrophe about the climate and the planet, maybe... This challenges our perspectives and forces us, actually, to think about, well, what really is important in life? Is it toilet roll or is it being close to God? And that might help us think. I'd like to um, show you a little clip. And I wonder if um, we can have that ready to roll. Um, It's from a film called La La Land, which I was um, quite surprised when I liked it. Um, I, I saw all the things about it and I thought, that is definitely not a film for me. But for me, it was the soundtrack. But actually, there is um, an important part in this, this story that I think is going to be useful for us today. Um, this is Mia and Sebastian, they've just helped each other escape from a party. They are, uh, there's nothing between them, um, so it seems. They're on their way back to their cars. We've stumbled on a view that's tailor-made for two. What a shame to are you and me. Some other girl guy would love this world sky, but there's only you and I, and we've got no shot. This could never be. You're not the type for me, and there's not a spark inside. What a a waste of a lovely night You say there's nothing here Well, let's make something clear I think I'll be the one to make 
your car. And though you look so cute in your polyester suit, it's warm. You're right, I'd never fall for you at all. And maybe this appeals to someone not in heels or to any girl who feels there's some chance for romance. But I'm frankly feeling nothing. Is that so? Or it could be less than nothing. Good to know, so you agree. That's right. What a waste of a lovely night. I wonder, is anyone familiar with the film? Have you seen the story? Just a few. Um, well, from this clip, there's nothing between these two. Obviously, there's no chemistry. Um, there's nothing going on, and they're both adamant about that. They are certainly not close. But as the story unfolds, as you can guess, um, they do end up becoming close and forming a friendship that becomes what we might describe as love, certainly love in one sense, and they sacrifice for each other. They make, um, they're very supportive and encouraging of each other's dreams. And so they become close. And that's what we're really thinking about. What is about this closeness between us and God? Well, let's turn to our reading um, from Mark. I wonder if we could have the next slide, which just summarizes where we are going. Now, your Bible, I think, has put this into four um, little stories, if you like, four sections. I've divided one of them up into two. Um, but last week, we saw this idea that Jesus is kind of fielding some really quite hostile questions. And we looked specifically at um, why Jesus should be our king. And we saw some of his answers to those, and some of them are incredible. We just look at it and go, wow, yes, uh, that person is wise, that person is trustworthy, and we should look to him as our king. But do we really want to get close? So our story continues with a couple of, um, well, certainly one more hostile question, and then um, perhaps a more friendly question, and then a question even by Jesus himself and an observation. So that's where we are headed. So, beginning at Mark 12 um, and verse 18. When then the Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said. Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, Are you not in error? Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. 
Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. We might read not far as close today if we're thinking about close. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. I think there's probably a gap in this bit. So Jesus has fielded a load of questions in, in possibly, quite possibly in a row. And then there's this gap uh, and we come and rejoin it later on. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, Why did the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few pence. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So we see five different accounts, and this particular Bible has split it into uh, five here. 
Um, and at first, you might think, well, they're, a, they're sort of connected. It's all Jesus' teaching. But I think they are also connected by something else. And if we could have the next slide. They're all hooked up around the idea of love. It might be a different sort of love, particularly the first one, and maybe the second last one there. But let's explore this a little bit, briefly, section by section, if we could have the next slide. The first section, then, marriage at the resurrection. Well, this is actually a picture of a minister and one of his wives. Um, They do say that ministers often marry many people, um, but this one kind of took it that he was having to do, uh, be the groom as well as do the marrying, and he got to 29 wives. So seven doesn't seem like a huge amount here um, that we're looking at. Um, But the idea here is not so much about the number, but about the principle of what happens after death. And in fact, it's not even about what happens about the marriage. That's not essentially their question. They are wanting to put out there the absolute ridiculousness of a resurrection. It's crazy. The Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection. We're told that. And it's absolutely ridiculous. And here's a point to prove it. What happens and then we get the story. But Jesus goes straight to the scriptures and says, you're wrong. You are wrong. And the scriptures prove it. Go, almost he's saying, go back, read it, have a look. And so we can turn to Jesus and we can draw close and say, we love his word. His words make sense. But we can love his power as well. The power to resurrect as we, would, or we have the advantage of seeing later on as he rises from the dead. So moving on to the next section, if we can have the next one, thank you. The greatest commandment. This is probably the central bit of our passage of, uh, that we're looking at in terms of the point, really, that I'd want to make at the bottom of the screen there. Love God, love others, basically, that's it. That is the answer to the question, what's the greatest commandment? I think it's also what's the the answer to how do we become close to God? Love God, love others. The Westminster Shorter Catechism has, as its first statement, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is what we were made to do. We were made to glorify God and to love God. But it's not, if you like, like the la-la land love. The idea of Falling in love because you're attracted to someone. 
It's not a romantic love. The word used here is agapesis, which we probably are familiar with the agape type of love. But agapesis means you shall love. And the key is it is an active love. It's not something you necessarily get a good feeling about or you have certain chemistry about or you're instantly falling in love. It is an action love. If you want to um, read a little bit more on the different types of love, um, C.S. Lewis has written that book, The Four Loves. If you look for others, some people would break those up even more and go for a higher number. But the point I'd like to make is it's an action-based love. It's not about feelings. And that's both good and bad for us, I think. It's good because it means that we can be close to God even if we don't feel like it. And if we're feeling low or a bit unhappy or not too good or wondering whether we really are close to God, we can be confident in certain things and say, yes, we are. But it does work a bit the other way as well if we're not careful. We can feel like, oh yeah, I'm close to God, feeling really good. But actually we're not. So we need to be a little bit careful with that. Moving on to the next um, section, number three, who is the Messiah? We're called here, I think, to love Jesus Love the Son as God. And Jesus makes this quite clear because you can sort of see he's saying to his disciples, well, people are saying this. How can that be? And he's trying to get his disciples to sort of engage with this. But he makes this very definite point that the Messiah, the Christ, must pre-exist King David. Because David's saying, calling him Lord. So he's pre-existing David, and he's, in a sense, outranking King David. So while the authorities and the religious leaders are saying it's going to be a son of David, that kind of puts David at the top, and the son, yes, with lots of good qualities and Um, great things, but lesser. Jesus is saying, well, hold on a minute. Even David is saying, this Messiah is greater than me and before me. So what are we doing? So he's questioning. And we, with the benefit of hindsight, can see, yes, Jesus is greater. We should love the Son as God. The Holy Spirit is also in there, and get that then you see the the whole trinity is mentioned in that section moving swiftly on again i know i'm touching these just briefly and each one could be a, a message in itself but we're thinking about being close to god so so you can have the next uh, yep love graciously this is really um aimed at those with any sense of teaching or authority, um, and that um, 
doesn't just mean, I think, when you're teaching about, uh, in our setting from the Bible or in church, but what about us as uh, parents or any other sort of where we've got an influence or we are trying to show the love of Christ? Loving graciously is going to be key. And our ultimate example of that is Jesus on the cross. And as we approach Easter and as we're in Lent, we perhaps are thinking a little bit more towards that. These religious leaders don't seem to be helping all that much. They are bigging up themselves rather than bigging up God. They are wanting people to see them and rather than draw close to God. We need to be careful of that. Love graciously. And lastly, this picture of the widow putting in everything. I think this is one of the ways we really can get close to God, is we love with everything. We don't hold anything back. And we see this picture. There's this widow. She walks up. After all these people have put in from their wealth, she gives everything. It's not a lot in real terms, you might think. But she is depending on God. She's a widow. She can't go back and be provided for by someone else. She's trusting in God. And so all her hope and ultimately joy is going to be founded in that. So she must be close to God. I wonder with this story if you ever think, well, okay, oh, I wish Mark had just told us what, what did happen to her. She doesn't get another mention. It's not like they follow her up and say, okay, you put all that in, you didn't have anything that week. What, what was it? What happened? How did it go? Were you starving? Did God provide? What miracle happened? Did it... We don't know. i tell you what we do know, though. We're talking about her now and learning about her now and about God through her. So there's absolutely no doubt that God is still using her story. So, close to God. How can I be close to God? Love God, love others. Love in all those ways we've just looked at. I'd like to um, bring us back in a minute to the end of the La La Land story, actually. And this story of Mia and Sebastian, after they fall in love and they sacrifice things for each other, Sebastian's dream is to open a jazz cafe, a jazz club. And Mia's dream is to be a great and famous actor. And to start with, they support each other. But they end up 
choosing their dreams over their relationship with each other. And they come to a point where they end up living separate lives. But then there's a sudden little instance where their paths cross. They don't speak to each other, but their paths cross. And there's a kind of little flashback scene where they look at what might have been. And this is it. So they essentially give up the closeness of being together for their individual dream. And you're left, I think, at the end of that film with a certain sense of, well, I think the first time I watched it, one of my children, they said, that is such a sad ending. And I, I could feel that. And, but my question was, why? They both got their dream. So on the face of it, It all looks good. They're living the dream. But there's something not right. Something is completely missing. And they've gone for something it feels like that isn't as good. And I wonder sometimes about our closeness with God. That perhaps we can be a little bit like this. We know of God's love and we experience it. Perhaps for a bit and then other things seem to cram in and we feel a little bit like we're not there anymore and other things take over and we perhaps feel like we lose our closeness and we drift. And perhaps we drift back again maybe for a while and then we drift again. But how do we come close and stay close? I think it comes back to this active love. Love God actively. Because after all, it is God that creates us. It is God that sustains us. It's God that rescues us. And it's God that immortalizes us. We've seen all of that through those passages. But we can now look at Jesus and say, actually, his love, if we look at Jesus, is sacrificial, isn't it? 
It's complete. It's unlimited. And it's undeserved. And if we love him and we love others like that, we are going to be close to him. Actually, whether we feel like it or not. There may may be times when we feel close or don't feel close, but that's okay. And certainly there are times when we might not feel close because of our circumstances or some anxiety or depression or anger. And we may tend to think, I don't feel close to God rather than recognize because of what God has done and I've accepted and giving back, then I am close to God regardless. Agape is an active love, not a feeling. So how do we stay close? How do we love others? How do we love God practically? Well, serve. Although we should be careful not to make this the main thing, spending time together, just you and God, that will help. Loving God and others generously, sacrificially, giving our time, efforts, energy, money, all the gifts we have. You're investing in the kingdom of God. You're drawing close to the king. So how can I be close to God? Love God. Love others. That's it.